Yes, thank you very much. Um, I'll be talking, maybe I, I can catch up on um, the, the point that was just, uh, that, that you just spoke of, um, the idea of freedom which is not only rooted in personship or in a, in a personalistic way. So this is maybe um, an, an idea that I can contribute to this discussion. So many theologians of the Reformation have highlighted the idea of the freedom of a Christian. With my paper for this conference, I want to examine the relation between this statement, the theologumina that derive from it, and the way theology can be performed through theological practices. In order to do so, I want to take a closer look at a theology-unrelated movement within the culture of software production. What is known as the free software movement has established a way of designing computer programs which is driven by a certain notion of freedom. My thesis is that we can identify some analogous elements that free software culture and Protestant theology are sharing by adapting freedom as a mode of their doing. My understanding of the fundamental theological transformations of the Reformation is that it switches the way of doing theology from the paradigm of ownership of orthodoxy to the paradigm of authorship of theological development. What I'm about to outline is less an understanding of freedom in context of explicit political theology, fundamental or social ethics, but rather an exploration in the field of epistemology and a methodology that takes the liberating work of the spirit into account. So my first part is um, this, um, this analysis of this non-theological notion of freedom, free software. By starting with an examination of the freedom concept of the free software movement, I've decided to maybe go a rather unusual way for a topic that um, is working um, explicitly with a theological question. If you have never heard of free software, let me assure you, you are using free software all the time. Either you're using a mobile phone running iOS or Android, or if you're using Chrome or Firefox internet browser, even if your computer is only running a proprietary software like Windows or like Microsoft Office, as soon as you are in any way connected to the internet, you make use of free software as this whole server and communication infrastructure is based on the developments that were driven by the idea of free software. I want to give a short recap on how things got there. The free software movement has emerged out of the early days of computing. It came from the idea of a free engagement of individuals in the development of software in contrast to the rise of commercial and proprietary software licenses. It was, or in the beginning, it was all a question of a license model. It was about a legal foundation that would enable computer engineers to improve, to adapt, and to expand the functionality of the software they were using by their own needs and by contributing their specific experiences and ideas. The overall idea was therefore to dispense with an access restricting copyright and allow a free dissemination of information about software and the computer programs themselves that would eventually foster a free society. 
All major free software licenses list the following fundamental freedoms. So we're coming about the legal implementation of a vision of freedom. First, the essential statement um, of, of the license is that one is free to use the software for any purpose. Second, it states the freedom to examine and to adapt the given software to one's own needs. Thus, the implica implications of this freedom make it imperative that the source code of the software is openly available. So freedom and openness are going hands in hands here. And the third thing is that free software is not only allowing individual customization, but also permits anyone to redistribute it with or without additional modification. Thus, free software implies the license to improve the software, extend its functions, and make it easier to use. But the convincing aspect of free software is not its mere legal framework. More important is how these freedom statements have managed to adapt freedom as a mode of cooperative practices. My fundamental claim is we can only make sense of the term freedom by understanding the concrete practices it entails. And the free software movement could only become this success successful by becoming creative in exploring these possible practices of freedom. Because of the fundamental freedom claims of the license, the development of free software has generated dynamics of cooperative creativity, which were simply impossible if it wasn't for the freedom of engaging the process of refining these very projects. One of the most significant aspects of free software culture or floss culture, it's an overall term for free software, open source, uh, an open source software, um, is the use of version control systems that allow anyone to comprehend the growth history of a program and how it was put together. But it doesn't only to allow to study the source code, it also enables individuals and even groups to engage in further development steps. If a project is published in a version control system, anyone who is willing to contribute suggestions for improvement or who is asking for the implementation of certain features can do so. One can either submit a suggestion for improvement, which is called a pull request, or they can open a new branch, which follows an own agenda of development parallel to the initial master branch. There are large projects uh, that consists of branches, of branches, of branches that eventually may or may, may never be merged back into the initial branches. Process of branching and merging are essential for how freedom of software carries out for a cooperative, decentralized, crowd and often chaos-based way. There are numerous Floss projects that try to make the entry requirements as low as possible in order to let not only highly specialized and skilled people participate in their development. There are ways to contribute ideas without writing a single line of code or even without being required to understand program code. Anyway, competence in its various ways and its different manifestations is the key to make use of the freedom of a license and to perform practices of freedom. And knowledge, as well as technical capabilities, still happen to be the most essential talents for the concrete implementation 
of new functionalities. So after this, um, after, after this uh, reconstruction of uh, what I think is, is um, the interesting thing in what uh, free software uh, has developed um, out of this ideas of freedom and concrete practices um, that it entails, I want to go uh, next step and ask for um, analogies um, or resemblances within Protestant theology. From this observation, the entanglement of, the uh, of theoretical freedom concept, its transition into a legal form and the emerging of complex structures that foster equivalent practices, I will now turn to the theological part, which is about the theology, uh, theology of the Protestant, or Protestant theology um, and about the theologumina of the Reformation. My thesis reads as following. With this structure in mind, we are able to explore analogous configurations within Protestant theology, namely the connection between a general statement of the freedom of a Christian and the way several of its theologumina can carry out this freedom in the development of this theology. When I speak of development of theology, I'm not only aiming at a scholarly discourse, but I find it important to also take different sorts of implicit theologies into account that are manifested in the expressions of Christian faith and the communities it shapes. Such communities are always both confirming their traditions via fostering their orthodoxy and at the same time undergoing a certain change due to societal and contextual transformations with their own heterodoxy. Therefore, I consider the updating process of theology to be a sort of reflective yet vivid and creative process which represents the idea of a fides querens intellectum. Retrospectively, we might say that the Protestant foundation of this type of theology lies within two significant theologumina. First, the scriptural principle, which states that all knowledge of God and his redemptive work must be derived from the testimonies of the biblical tra traditions. And secondly, the idea of the priesthood of all believers, which aims at enabling every Christian to engage with the Bible in a way that is led by the, Holy, by the Holy Spirit. In my paper, I have tried to show how the combination of both theologumina has set the frame for a theological development that from its roots on never had a reason to justify itself as monolithic and uniform, although it historically pretended so in many cases. My understanding is that the latter was always then the case when Christian freedom wasn't carried out by substantial structures that would foster the liberating, creative, and also decentralized elements of these two theologumina. A pneumatological interpretation of the scriptural principle, as I've tried to outline in my paper, and the priesthood of all believers shows parallels to the freedom claims of free software licenses which state the freedom to use and to study a given program and its code. While free software projects put their trust in the creative and involving dynamics of chaotic and spontaneous development, Protestant theologies have tried to interpret this openness of its sources and interacting with them as an interface of the work of the spirit. Maybe we'll come to that uh, on the panel tomorrow. 
Thus, it combines individual, communal, and contextual dimensions with the endeavor of theological truth-seeking. The revealing and creative work of the spirit empowers individuals within their communities to acquire, study, and interpret, interpret the biblical texts, and therefore engage in the process of authoring theology. As stated before, I, want to, I don't want to reduce theological authorship only to its explicit forms. Rather, I'm suggesting to understand its developments as the manifold and complex ways the Christian faith is expressed, reflected, performed, and contextually adapted. Within the Reformation, we can identify a similar change that free software has performed. It is the change from ownership of non-exclusive, um, from, from ownership to non-exclusive authorship that values <coughs> admits its neediness for the expertise and experience of others if it doesn't want to come to a halt. Freedom that sets free co-creative practices is a transforming power. Without this entanglement of freedom claims and their transition into concrete practices, it either stays an empty term or it only represents a mere potentiality. In order to elucidate the structural and organizational consequences of that, I want to recap the way of how cooperative action takes place in software development. Its decentralized methods often entail the simultaneous yet differentiated development steps by a variety of people. Small-scale changes are being outsourced to branches and, as I said, eventually will be merged into the master branch of a software project. After all, sometimes they are not. By comparing the practice of this decentralized process of branching different directions of development with the generation and the growth of theological traditions, we can unveil both analogies and star contrast. What version control systems make possible for collaborative code manipulation is comparable, as I would suggest, to the history of ecumenism. Theology not only understood as an analytic, but as an ongoing and developing enterprise is a vital continuation of differentiated, yet codependent authorship. Different theological approaches, or even denominations, can be envisioned as branches, sometimes even as forks, that continue theology not only as a linear development, but as independent and parallel alternatives within Christian theology. The history of the diversity of theological and religious traditions of Christianity can be read as a complex network of different branches, which are sometimes loose and sometimes close-knit. But it is also evident that development of Protestant theology isn't only a history of mere differentiation into branches, but also of mutual interdependence, uh, interdependence and stimulation through the difference of theological developments. The ev event of theological encounters of different branches promises the possibility of mutual correction. The conversation between different approaches and traditions in the search of theological knowledge may turn out to be quite conflictive or even, even disruptive. And merge attempts, most often of the time, demand a great deal of challenges 
for both of the involved branches. What signifies a, or what, what, what signifies a time-consuming process of managing merge conflicts in software developments is for the fides querens intellectum the place of constant and not always consensual search for truth. Or should I better say, for truths? Not only church, but also its reflective enterprise theology is an endeavor semper reformanda. Particular merge processes can not only be identified in the context of explicit theologies, even in the encounter of implicit theologies in practical formation of ecumenical or interreligious encounters, occasional merge attempts can be discerned. And realistically speaking, this often doesn't result in a success story of pure common consensus. Again, a closer look at the experience of, of free software um, practices can illustrate that. For example, large projects like the Linux kernel have masses of branches with dead ends, which due to their technical, stylistic, or political inadequacy are never merged into the crucial branches which are attracting the interests of the public. Of course, this raises, again, the question of power. For both, <coughs> for both software production and ecumenism alike, the maintenance of merges as well as the encounter of different theological development branches doesn't happen in an egalitarian way. While it is possible that decision-making in the so-called master branch of a software project is overtaken by a company or a patron, we can observe similar tendencies in the writing of theology. And this is precisely where Protestant theology shows its decisive contrast which lies in its potential to practice theological freedom. Because by renouncing a synthesizing unity of an organization, because after all, Protestant theology doesn't know a central teaching position, it also lacks any empirical organizing reference. Protestant theology, rightly understood, doesn't have a fundamental tool that allows it to locate its own branch relative to a master branch. Because Christian faith is not to be understood in the category of ownership, but rather by means of codependent authorship. Without any institutionalized and theologically legitimized te teaching position, there is neither a distinct maintainer of a master branch, nor is it questionable if this question even gets epistemological or is it, question, is it questionable if this question even gets the epistemological problem right? In contrast to the clearly localizable structure of the branches of a development tree in a software version control system, the Protestant epistemological principles lack the possibility of independent verification of their own branches. On the contrary, in my paper I've shown why freedom of a Christian has to be implemented through theological practices of freedom over and over again. Ecclesia et theologia semper reformanda. My pneumatological assumption, which lies in this, is that the self-unfolding presence of the Holy Spirit is not only to be located within the boundaries of what we call church, which in particular can mean one's own religious, one's denominational or contextual bounds, but that the spirit acts within the transgressions 
of epistemic borders of one's own branch. So I don't uh, intend to argue for a blurring and indistinct presence of the spirit in everything and everywhere, but that his spirit or his work has to be understood as a force transcending the boundaries of social and therefore also of epistemic self-affirmation. It is therefore adequate to also hope for the God's advising spirit and the differentiated intersections of mutual learning in the broadness of ecumenism. Practice, practicing theological freedom has to take the account, into account the freedom of the Holy Spirit, and that it might unfold within unknown contexts that themselves testify the spirit of faith, love, and hope. The careful examination of the testimonies of others might eventually turn out to be a more adequate description and even an impulse for solutions of one's own and particular theological and religious, religious quests. I come to an end. While software production follows mostly the logic of technical compatibility and efficiency, theological development is not only to be functionalized for its practical feasibility, but also by the question of truth. This is why the question of the discernment of the spirits in light of faith, love, and hope becomes the crucial question and is deeply entangled with what I have described so far. The assumption of the spirit extra knows and the mere presence of the other is no guarantee for the self-revealing work of the spirit, and neither is a mere communal spirit of one's own branch. It is therefore crucial to understand theological freedom not only in the sense of independence, but in the co- and interdependence and the engagement with the source code of the Christian faith in communities. On a scriptural basis, this is the free and liberating engagement with the pluriform and many-voiced biblical canon. Thank you very much.